Welcome to the SEO Happy Hour Podcast with We Do Web Content. Listen up, marketers and small business owners. If you're looking to get a better grasp on understanding how to use proven digital marketing techniques to grow your business, you're in the right place. On our SEO Happy Hour Podcast, our team will teach you the proven techniques we use with our clients and interview the industry experts on marketing, SEO, content, social, and more. Grab a drink and a seat, and here is your host, Alex Valencia. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of SEO Happy Hours Podcast. On this episode, I interview and work with search engine marketer Eric Enga from Stone Temple Consulting. We're so very fortunate to have him. Please uh, listen to the whole podcast. If you have any comments, please let us know on our blog. Make sure you like us, share us, review us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for enjoying your time with SEO Happy Hour. Back to the show, SEO Happy Hour with We Do Web Content. Here is your host, Alex Valencia. Hey friends, happy Friday and welcome to another episode of SEO Happy Hour with We Do Web Content. Today I am absolutely stoked to have this guest on with us. He is the CEO and founder of Stone Temple Consulting out of Massachusetts. Eric Enga is going to be with us today. He's going to be answering questions and presenting to us on content marketing and what content Google loves. He's going to be sharing some of his case studies of Fortune 500 companies that he works with. He's going to be telling us what content you should be creating and what Google thinks of it. He's going to be answering our questions. This is an awesome opportunity for you to be able to get up close and personal with a pioneer like Eric Enga, who's been a student of Google for years. So we're lucky to have him. Make sure you have your questions. Make sure you're listening. I will be sending out a recording to the people on our list. So thank you again for registering, everyone. We hope you have a good time and enjoy the content that we're going to share with you. Eric is awesome. He's a good friend. He's super successful. He works with tons of companies, and if you're a legal marketer, SEO nerd, you're going to get a benefit out of this. We're super stoked to have ask him some questions about our own strategies that we use for our law firm clients and learn what he thinks and what he's learned from Google himself, especially coming from a content side and a link building side. So um, with that said, I'm going to pass on over to Eric Enga again, who one SEO personality of the year, large SEO agency of the year, and SEO marketer of the year. How cool is that? So Eric Anga, thanks so much for being on the show. I pass it on to you and I look forward to your presentation. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, please, uh, we're, we're going to let um, Eric go through the presentation. Make sure you raise your hand or post questions and then we'll stop somewhere in the middle or at the end, answer your questions and I'm sure we're going to have our own questions for Eric as well. All right, Eric, thanks so much, man. And is the presentation showing okay for you guys? You're seeing it in full I'm screen seeing mode? it. Yeah, okay, cool. Yep. So yep. Uh, what I want to talk to you all about today is, as it says right there, why good content must die. Uh, and so I'm going to explain that as we go through things. Uh, so Alex already gave a nice intro for me, so I'll kind of skip uh, 
uh, skip by this uh, and just keep going. And I want to start actually with a little story. My story is about Sally, and I want to find out uh, why is Sally so sad and what we can do to make her happy. Well, Sally has a problem. She's an SEO director for a career-related website, and her traffic has been going through a withering decline month over month for many months now, uh, in fact, over a small period of years. And she's got no clear plan to turn things around. And certainly this is plenty of reason to be sad in today's digital marketing world. Um, but what happened is uh, we came in and helped Sally, Sally with a recovery plan. It's like a full site audit, uh, comprehensive on-site content optimization, uh, competitive backlink analysis, and a content marketing plan. And you know, it didn't have to be us, but this is, you know, a lot of people know how to do this. But the idea is had to take Sally back to ground zero and rethink about what her uh, situation was and what was the best approach for moving forward. And um, as part of that uh, content marketing plan, uh, Sally ended up getting placements on all these kinds of sites, uh, literally these sites. And again, keep in mind this is a career-oriented site, so these are highly, highly relevant sites for, for her to be on. Um, and this is what happened to Sally's rankings. Uh, and so this is actually a real anonymized uh, case study. But I just kind of wanted to warm you all up with the point of which is that really effective content marketing can have really large-scale impact. Certainly we see here more than doubling of traffic from where it was in February of 14 uh, and triple roughly where it was in mid-2015. So that would certainly be plenty of reason for Sally to be much happier now. So um, you know, keep that in mind as we go through. This is our objective, is to get a similar kind of results. Just a few more content marketing proof points worth putting out there. First of all, uh, content marketing costs 62% less than traditional marketing, but by three times the leads, demandmetric.com. I'm not gonna read each one of these. You can do that for yourself. but. You know, there's several uh, data points from many different organizations that shows that content marketing is a very powerful way to go ahead and do your marketing. But of course, it's one thing to know that you need to do a content marketing uh, or should be thinking about doing content marketing. It's another thing to figure out how to do it right. We're going to get into all of that. And starting off, uh, the first thing I think you really need to look at is how do you think about your goals? So many of us, right? Many of us are in it for SEO benefits. You know, we want, we want to grow our traffic from Google uh, and, and make more money that way. But what my experience has taught me is that if you're going to be really good at content marketing, you have to think about reputation, visibility, and audience first. And then I have this almost parenthetical statement at the far right, oh yes, let's get some links too. Um, and oddly enough, this sort of approach to how you think about content marketing um, is how you get the best overall SEO results. So as you think about it, though, realize that you're working in an ecosystem. Uh, and uh, this audience is, your target audiences are over here on the right. Media and bloggers, you know, your prospects, influencers, and your content you uh, create is over on the left. And the things in the middle are the channels that you use to distribute that content. And the reason we want to talk about it as being an ecosystem 
if you need to think about it as not something that you manipulate, but something that you join and participate in. This is a really important part of the mentality about how you important, uh, approach content marketing, right? Uh, so you may have SEO goals, but you need to think about it holistically. So, okay. So now I've kind of set the stage, and I'm going to dive into a good old-fashioned SEO topic, which is just how important are links today? You've probably seen lots of content out there, a lot of people arguing that links are declining in importance in Google, and they just don't matter as much anymore. Um, but I participated in a webinar, actually a hangout, uh, with uh, Google's Andre Lapatsev back in March. And as part of that, one of the other participants of the webinar, a guy called Amon Johns, asked about, you know, gosh, since you've told us that rank rate is the third most important signal, what are the two first ones? And it was reiterated then by Andre, content and links. So quality of your content, and links going into your site. So that's just, that's what Google wants to say what the most important factors are. So links, according to that, are still really big. And here are the most recent studies. Um, don't worry too much about what the numbers are, but they're studies done by Moz and search metrics of what are the most important ranking factors. The numbers are measurements of correlation between um, links and ranking. And just know that these are actually pretty strong number, strong numbers. And links showed a stronger correlation in rankings in both Moz's and search metric studies than any of the other factors they looked at. So that's a pretty important uh, uh, backup to Google's statement that uh, links are still really important. So now that we have this, you know, let's get into what the real story is. Uh, and I'm calling it the real story because we actually also did our own study of the uh, importance of links in ranking. Uh, and here are our correlation numbers. Again, don't get too hung up on what they are. If you want to know the details, you can read about a thing called Spearman correlations. Uh, and you'll, you'll learn how these measurements are done. But just know that these are pretty strong indications that uh, links are driving, uh, remain a driving factor in ranking. And we actually took a wholly different kind of look at it, uh, which showed even stronger correlations. This is different than what uh, search metrics in Moz uh, uh, did. Um, but to sum it all up, uh, all of these things actually suggest that links remain a very strong factor in SEO. So I promised a few pauses along the way. I'm going to take one there and see if we have any uh, questions before I go on to the next section. Guys, any questions for me, uh, either from the audience or the two of you so far? We good? Uh, I don't see any questions. Alex, do you see anything there? Let me see. We had some come in, um, not uh, through the um, – I'm pulling them up now, sorry. Let me just see if they're related to – How does integrating PR into your content and link building strategy help? Um, it's a great question. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later, but the short answer is um, PR can create visibility for your content, 
that will cause, or your page use, that will cause other people to write about it and link to it. That's the best way to think about PR. In old-fashioned uh, SEO, it used to be that you could just publish lots of press releases with links in the press releases, and those links would add SEO value. Um, that's not um, the, the, way to, the right way to think about it today. It's more about really good PR can gain visibility for your site and your content and hence drive uh, uh, SEO that way. So with that, I'm going to jump back in if that's all right. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about what kind of content works. And I want to start that by sharing some data that I found from a company called Chartbeat. And this chart that you're looking at uh, shows um, on the x-axis, the read time of all these bits of content, and you'll see that there's some bright colors and a whole bunch of stuff on the far left here, and that's the majority of the content doesn't get very much read time. As you go out on the x-axis, out to the right, you'll start to see more and more things that, uh, um, that there are a lot of content that actually gets a fairly good amount of read time. The y-axis is social activity. So, Again, a whole bunch of things down on the bottom left here. Uh, so most things don't get that much social activity. But there's some things that get extremely high social activity. What's most interesting about this chart is the quadrant that's empty, or almost empty. That's the top right quadrant. The intersection between content that gets high read time and high social shares is almost non-existent. So this is pretty interesting when you think about how would search engines potentially want to value uh, social shares um, and what it says about the connection between social shares and content value. Um, so uh, cute cat pictures and memes and things like that don't tend to get very high read time. They might get a lot of shares. Um, and here's another data. This is, uh, uh, this is from a study done by Moz and Buzz Simo. And they looked at 100,000 random posts, and 75% of the, con uh, the posts they looked at had zero links. And most of them have very, very few social shares. So um, that's by itself interesting. It says most content does pretty poorly. Um, but here's another dive into the co uh, correlation coefficients. I'm going to walk you through it in a little more detail now. Um, so in this study, they tried to measure the correlation between social shares and links to content. Okay? So just so you understand what these scores mean, a minus one means a total negative correlation. So that's the worst score you can get. And it means you get more links as you get fewer shares if that were the case. It's not the case, but I'm just explaining sort of the ranking scale. A plus one is total positive correlation. So as you get more shares, more links goes up kind of linearly. Um, uh, anything over 0.3 represents a pretty significant correlation, plus 0.3. And a score of zero means basically no correlation whatsoever. And what this study showed is the correlation between shares and links came out at 0.01, or pretty darn close to no correlation whatsoever. So what this study showed is 
that um, just because something gets lots of social shares doesn't mean it gets any links. Uh, and uh, it's just completely unrelated. That's pretty interesting uh, when you start thinking about uh, what kind of content you need to, to produce. And I'm going to dive a little more deeper into that now. Because when the Moz and BuzzSumo team took a closer look at some of the sites that they had in their study, they found some individual sites actually had a very strong correlation. So four of them are listed here. There's a lot more than this, but this is representative. Um, and, and gosh, these sites you know, are doing pretty good. Um, and it turns out what they do is pretty unique. They're really big on opinion-forming journalism. All right, So they really push this concept of, of putting an opinion out there. Important subtlety to this. Their opinion is only working in terms of gathering both social shares and links because people care about their opinion. So it isn't enough to have some stranger start writing on your blog and issuing opinions. You have to develop a reputation first. But that was kind of interesting. So some content does correlate really strongly between social shares and links. Here's some more sites that actually strong, uh, correlate strongly between shares and links. And they were a little different than the first set I showed you. What they're big in is actually data-driven research studies. And they pump out a bunch of this kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you from my experience here at Stone Temple Consulting that we do a lot of data-driven uh, research and publish a lot of studies that worked extremely well for us. What's nice about data-driven research studies, if you can show that you have a sound methodology that um, you don't have as high a threshold of proving that you're an expert first, like you do with opinion-forming journalism. And so data-driven research studies also do really well. So here's an example from our own site, actually. We publish a, a uh, a study on the original mobile Geddon release by Google, and it got 3,100 social shares, not bad. Uh, and if you go look at the links, it also got 2,800 backlinks from 208 different domains. So that's a pretty good yield for a piece of content. And you can see for this piece of content, because it was data-driven research, it actually had a good combination of links and social shares. So. Next up, in terms of thinking about content or what kind of content to focus on, is what type works best. And so this kind of funky chart, look at the, the green, the yellow-green line there, which is labeled ad hoc enhanced content. So for this one, um, just imagine that you produce like an infographic occasionally. Uh, or maybe a, a data-driven research study. but and, and you kind of do it in a sporadic way, and each of them are not that related to each other, and they're standalone pieces. They can help you grow your traffic over time. This uh, idea is as these lines get higher, theoretically your traffic is going up. Um, uh, contrast that with the idea of campaigns, the orange line. right? Uh, campaigns might be... Okay, I did a data-driven research study that I connected with and contacted uh, 10 media people and gave them 
advanced access to study under embargo and said, happy to give you some images and um, you could publish at the same time we publish or within an hour or so, or I'll do an interview for you or I'll write a custom post for you. So rather than just doing a standalone piece, you do some companion supportive marketing. And the idea is in the campaigns that you see a bigger impact. And then finally, the third line, the maroon one, thematic campaign, the concept here is that we're doing the same thing that we're doing in campaigns, but each of the campaigns is following a common theme. So in other words, in my orange line, campaign one and campaign two and campaign three might not be that closely related to each other. But in the maroon one, they're very closely related, so they're much more reinforcing uh, as to what your your business is about and your special area of expertise. So as you think about the kinds of content you're gonna, gonna produce, you wanna think about opinion-forming journalism, you wanna think about data-driven research studies, and now you need to think about what's the theme for those and how you're gonna have a constant thread amongst all the content that you've produced. Okay. So now what? I never thought you'd ask. Um, so Seth Godin, way back in 2003, published a book called Purple Cow. And the whole concept was you're driving through the Midwest of the United States, and you're going after by, by farm after farm, and you're seeing cornfields and cows. And it doesn't take very long before you're not talking about them. But when you drive by the, the farm where there's a purple cow sitting there, suddenly you're shocked into, uh, my gosh, that really stands out. And this is sort of his theme, which is a very, very good one. If you're going to produce content, be remarkable, right? If you were to write the next greatest article about how to make French toast, nobody's going to care because it's been written about tens of thousands of times before. And as I'm fond of saying, I haven't had French toast in more than 25 years, and I can still tell you how to make it. So you have to think about what's the exceptional kind of content that you're going to produce that's going to attract attention. In fact, just to, to think about that from another perspective, here's a typical market adoption chart for any given market is characterized these kinds of people. I'm sorry, it looks like it's a little blurry, actually. But in the beginning, you have the innovators who are the first to adopt something. And then you have the early adopters that are next. Then you have what we call the early and late majority. And then you have the laggards. Well, if I'm trying to get social shares and links from somebody, who do you think that's coming from? Well, of course, it's going to be the early adopters and innovators that, that link and socially share stuff. And so as you produce content, you now need to be thinking about, well, who am I writing it for? Am I writing it for the early and late majority or the laggards? Um, well, not if it's part of your PR slash content marketing efforts. If you're using it to promote your business, try to get links and social shares and reputation and visibility, your audience is the early adopters and the innovators. And your target is to produce content which is remarkable enough that they will want to share it and link to it. 
and the refinement that I started with is that means it needs to be opinion-forming journalism written by a recognized expert or a data-driven study. So now you, I think you can see that I've kind of worked you through a model here of the kind of content it takes to be um, successful in building a business using content marketing. So just to underscore it, good content isn't good enough. You gotta be thinking about elite content or what I sometimes call anchor content. Again, those data-driven studies and the, the opinion-forming journalism pieces. Uh, gotta target the right audience and create content for that audience. So uh, I'm gonna stop there and see what other questions might have come up in the meantime uh, and uh, see what you guys think so far. I think I think it's great. Can you hear me, okay, Eric? Yes. Okay, great. So I, I love this. This is this is amazing. Um, I guess most of the people that are probably tuning in to this webinar um, are attorneys, right? And so um, historically, you know, when you when you know attorneys have like their content strategy, they want to make sure that they're optimized for personal injury lawyer, Dallas, Texas, right? So those are those would what be considered like you know the landing pages that you know are necessary to drive like just their target audience to their website. But then what you're talking about now is kind of more of the creative type of content, like doing you know um, data driven you know uh, research uh, to attract a lot more social shares and links. So is that kind of like are you talking about like two different sides of content strategy? <clears throat> No, I, I'm glad you asked that, Jason. It's a very important clarification. Of course you're going to have uh, conversion-oriented pages on your site, and you're going to have pages which are designed for your target customer base. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And nothing I'm saying is meant to say that you shouldn't have those pages, because you should. Right. Uh, but right. I think what I'm focusing on is if I'm going to try to do things to drive the visibility and reputation of my business to get more links and social shares so I'm getting more exposure and I have to create call it exposure oriented content sure. um, and that has a different focus so uh, for those of you uh, watching just keep that in mind that I'm talking about promotionally oriented content um, and I got to use that word carefully too because by promotionally I don't mean self-promotion mm -hmm. I mean creating editorial content that will cause other people to talk about you uh, creating more visibility for your business and bringing in more leads. Perfect. Great answer. No, I just wanted to clarify that. <clears throat> Thank you. Yep. All right. Any any other questions before I go on? Any questions from the uh, audience? I, we had some come in, but they're not really related, so these can wait till the end if you want to keep going. But yeah. by the way, okay, by, by the way, hey, one last thing. By the way, um, you know, Eric. Eric is a very influential person in this space. He's highly regarded. He just got an award as the um, what was the, the award that you just received, Eric? It was uh, well, got I got uh, you it. We were the best large SEO agency, if you can see that on screen there now. There you go, bravo, congratulations. U.S. Search Personality of the Year, and, a, and from a different awards organization. Uh, male search marketer of the year. So, so all happened so, in the past six weeks. That's amazing. <laughs> and so, you know, I commend you on that. You definitely earned it. You're a pioneer of this industry. And the whole reason why I bring that up is because those that are listening, 
you know, it's not every day you can get Eric on a webinar like this where you can ask him questions for free. <laughs> so um, his hourly rate is probably very high. And so if you do have any questions, I would highly encourage you to, uh, to, to raise your hand here. So absolutely. Thank you, Eric. No, um, thank you, uh, Jason. Appreciate that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, haul through the next piece probably a little more quickly. Um, uh, but I want to really set the stage. And your clarifying questions, Jason, were very important. So I'm glad you did that. Um, OK. So the next thing to think about is I'm now doing content marketing to promote my business and gain visibility and links and social shares so more people become aware of me. Uh, and that's great. And I know I need to do that. But the thing to think about is can I make it quantitative somehow so I know that I'm going to go produce 10 pieces of content to achieve this particular result? Uh, and the answer is yes, you can. And I'm going to walk you through a way to do that. Um, uh, conceptual way to do that so uh, and make your investment uh, more efficient so you might have data like this if you look at SEO rankings uh, uh, you know and I've got my money keywords over in the first column and then I have these ranking terms you know ranking from position 4 to 43 is shown on here and the third one which I'm kind of highlighting here is in position 8 so I have a, a, a key search term, the money keyword in position eight. Well, what if I could do something to move it to position five or four or three or two uh, or even one? Um, that's worth money, right? Um, and it's better to target something that's kind of close to money than it is the, the next one down, which is position 43, which is probably going to take a lot more work. So that's the first conceptual stage of how can I do a content marketing campaign more efficiently? The next thing to do is figure out how to take it to move that up. Now I know which one I want to move. I'm going to try to take this one in position eight. I'm going to try to move it up. So imagine that this is your scenario. And uh, I'm using a fictitious example here because uh, none of you own hrsa.gov. I don't own it. I haven't worked on it. But it's a made-up example just to illustrate. So imagine you're this site in position eight. And you've got these three people in front of you. And you want to move up in the search results. Okay. Well, you can go into tools like you know, uh, Open Site Explorer, and you can pull data on who's ranking in the seventh slot and find out what their domain and page authority are. Um, you could do that for you know, each of the competitors in front of you. You can also go in and get data from other tools, uh, Majestic, SEO, Ahrefs. We use all three of those. Um, and then you can put those into uh, a process where you uh, build a master list of links, you dedupe the list across all the sources, and prioritize the targets. I'm, you know, we have a tool that does it here, but you can do it in a spreadsheet. You don't need our tool to do it. Uh, and um, uh, so you build a master set of links, uh, and then you get a common set of metrics. And we do actually still like to use uh, Moz domain uh, authority and page authority uh, numbers. And so here's a sample uh, actually related exactly to the specific search result I showed you as an example a moment ago and um, of the, the links uh, pointing to a particular competitor uh, that's outranking uh, our uh, page in the example. And it was pretty interesting for this one that we looked at. It actually tells the story pretty simply. 
that this page was outranking us in position eight because it had two links with a domain authority of 93 and page authority of 46, and one with an 81 slash 28. And then you look down the rest of the link chart, and it drops off extremely fast. Um, so the first supposition I'm going to give you is that for this particular ranking example, I've already identified why this guy is outranking me, and it's because of three links. So think about that for a moment. If you do this level of analysis, you suddenly realize, gosh, I just made it quantitative. I've got to go get three, maybe four, maybe five links. They've got to be this good. They've got to be really good ones. But this is a fascinating approach that we use, and it actually works pretty well. So what you do is, instead of just looking at one page like we were looking at, you tabulate this across your major ranking competition. Uh, and what I'm showing you here is completely made up data now. Um, uh, but just for illustration, imagine you ended up with a little spreadsheet that showed here's my competitors are outranking me, and these are all their most important links, and I'm ignoring um, the, uh, the, uh, the links that are actually aren't that valuable, right? Uh, and you can get a picture of this, gosh, what would it take for me to get into the top five? or top four, et cetera. Um, so to be fair, links aren't the only thing in ranking. It's a big factor. Uh, and I just want to you know, uh, uh, be clear that it's obviously not the only factor. And sometimes you'll build a spreadsheet like the one I just showed you, and you'll have a situation that looks like this, is that, gosh, the, uh, the site in the number two position, links don't seem to explain in any material way why it's ranking. And of course, the point is that quality of content or diversity of content are still huge components of this and arguably more important than links. You know, uh, so if your content stinks, you're not going to be able to get it to rank just by getting it some links. So let's just, as we talk about this side of the story, the, the very link-focused side of the story, let's just keep in mind that um, you really have to work on the quality of your content along the way, too. But the idea is when you're done with all this analysis, you want to get to a recipe. You want to get to, all right, what are the things that I need to do uh, to, to, to win and rank very highly on this key search term? Uh, and I've actually got a very hard example here that uh, would require three DA90 plus links three, four, DA, 80 plus, et cetera. So your, your examples hopefully aren't that hard because that's a big budget uh, to solve that problem. But, uh, and maybe some on-page things I need to do as well. But the idea is to get to a formula. So once you go through this process, the benefit is it's very quantitative and clear where you stand and what you have to accomplish. So here's just an example of what we did for some very, very competitive terms for a number of different people. Uh, and these are actually real case study examples. I had to anonymize them. Uh, but, uh, you know, a search term, looking at the fifth line here, 201,000 searches per month. Uh, it took us 25 links to get it to position one. Um, but then, you know, a few lines below that, a term 18,000 searches a month, five links. We took it from uh, six and above position to number one. 
just by using this kind of focused analysis and, to be clear, focusing on high domain authority links uh, in small quantity rather than getting tons and tons of crappy links. So that was kind of the approach. So um, next up, I want to walk you through another case study. Um, so this is a, a true story, once again anonymized. Uh, but we had a client uh, uh, two years ago on November 15th, a competitor leapfrogged over them uh, from the three spot to the two spot in the rankings, and our client dropped to position three, which doesn't sound like that big a deal. But for this particular client, they make all of their profit. Literally every single penny of their profit occurs in December of each year, a very holiday-focused business. For the rest of the year, they, they work to break even, and then they make all their money in the fourth, uh, 12th month. Um, so this caused excitement at the board level, uh, and um, we actually did our success by design analysis, and here's what we found in looking at the competitor that jumped over them. It came down to one link that turned out it was a new news story that the competitor had gotten, caused them to jump over. Uh, so we did a simple thing. We, we called the people who wrote the story and said, can you add our link? And they did it. And within a week, we were back in the number two spot. So what's cool about this is it shows how simple it can be at times uh, to, to gain these kinds of rankings. So I'm going to stop again there. Uh, just to see if we have any more questions, and then I have one last segment to, to kind of blaze on through. Uh, doesn't look like there's a lot of questions being raised um, just on the webinar. Um, I guess I guess I have one question. Um, there's a lot of tools out there to track uh, the keywords and the movements. What is uh, one of your favorites? So uh, advanced uh, web ranking is what we tend to, to use here, um, and that, that works, uh, um, you know, uh, quite well. Uh, Authority Labs also has a very good one. Um, so those are the two that I think are, um, that I would recommend. Those are great, and I would even say that even Ahrefs now has like a, a keyword ranking tool, which is yeah. uh, pretty interesting, yeah. So, yeah. cool. I, I uh, just right. want to jump in. Oh, looks like we got a quick question here before I ask mine. Um, SEO Moz or Yoast came in from Don. What, what's your question with it, uh, Don? Um, yes, for like local, I as guess. As far as. Uh, he's talking about Yext. Oh, Yext. Moz local or Yext, actually, yes. would be the. So, um, um, yeah, they're very different. Moz Local is uh, going to be uh, cheaper and more affordable. Um, the uh, Yext is more expensive. The advantage Yext has is they give you real-time updates of your local listings. Um, and so what, what I mean by that is you update your data in the Yext console, and then all the business listing and yellow pages sites within an hour or so are, are up to date with your new information. Um, whereas Moz Local, you make the changes and it might take a month or two for those sites to do their updates. 
So now is it yeah. redundant? Would it be redundant like to do both if you have the budget for it? They they don't uh, they overlap some, okay. but not. Uh, but they're definitely different sites that they cover. Uh, so uh, going off the top of my head here, Jason, I don't remember it all, but I know that Moz Loco focuses on Axiom and uh, Info USA and. Yex mm -hmm. does a different aggregator, but uh, they overlap on some yellow page sites. So if you can do both, it's good. The disadvantage Yex has, by the way, is if you end your agreement with Yex, all the changes you made disappear. Yeah. Right it. Whereas most yeah. changes sustain themselves. So there's some balance there to be thought about. Right. Uh, all right. That's a good question. Uh, so yeah, let we'll, me we'll go ahead and proceed. Yeah. Okay. So. I want to talk about some creative channel strategies. Um, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because uh, it's just meant to stimulate some thoughts. Think about, I, I say here, leverage a, a mega brand, but think about leveraging partnerships. Are there ways that you can do partnerships to get more visibility for your content? Like, is there some uh, journal that uh, uh, covers your particular area of law frequently? Uh, that would take regular content from you or would help co-promote co something with you. So here's an example of a brand, uh, a, a small nonprofit that partnered with Intel. Um, and what they did is, um, well, Intel partnered with them for a few reasons uh, because it was an area that Intel was interested in, but they weren't able to move quickly on. They didn't have the budget or the focus or the right experts. And the small company was able to do that. And all of you guys listening have some your own areas of expertise that other people can benefit from. And you might find some promotional partnership you could do. And what 10 by 10 got out of this is after they uh, launched this partnership with Intel, they got this huge spike in visibility. And they get written up in USA Today and the like. So just think a little bit about the power of partnerships is something uh, to focus on. Another idea is to invest more, not just generally, but in one specific area. So here's a, a brand called Bestmade. Uh, makes a product called American Axe. They get very focused on Instagram. And they created a bunch of pictorial essays, which works really well for Instagram. Um, so they didn't have to spend a ton of money. They focused on one vertical, in this case, a, uh, uh, a specific uh, social media site. Oops, my thing jumped ahead on me automatically. Uh, and then they invested more on that uh, uh, on that one site. And just by focusing on a single social media site and going deep with it, here's what happened for them over the years. You can see a constant up and to the right for visibility for their brand. This is a Google Trends chart for their brand name. Um, so if you are active in social media, Think about being very active and very successful on one social media site rather than doing a you know, not so great job on many social media sites. Focus, so to speak. The other idea is to be unique. This brand is seventh generation. Uh, they sell household products, uh, uh, cleaners, uh, paper towels, toilet paper. I mean, how would you like to be the a uh, guy given the challenge of writing exciting content marketing about, you know, the stuff about toilet paper. But what they did is they kept focused on an eco-friendly theme. So these guys, you know, I mean, entered the market 
like five years ago or ten years ago, something like that. I mean, there were hundreds of companies already selling household products, yet they managed to establish a strong niche by focusing on one area of content marketing. And here's what they did. They found a vertical concept that it could lead. Um, they built their subject matter expert on, expertise on that, and they uh, built their reputation and proved to be a leader in a very specific segment. And this is what it's done for them. Uh, you know, 76,000 followers on Twitter is not bad. 1.3 million fans uh, for their page on Facebook. Uh, and they've been very successful uh, as a result of these things. Um, another idea is just get an early mover advantage. Here's a guy called Zach King, who was one of the first people on Vine. Uh, last I checked, uh, he had over three and a half million followers there. When you get early and uh, actively engaged on a social media property, a new social media property, um, uh, you can build followings really quite quickly. Um, and to do that, you kind of have to recognize a new channel when it emerges, and you have to test it, and you have to be willing to test that social media platform. And if it isn't working for you, dump it. And you have to recognize if you're going to try to play this game, you might try some new social media sites and figure out that it was not a good thing and dump it. But if you do it, uh, you might have to try it a few different times, and you might get one that works really well and establish leadership in a really good new channel. So that's a thing to think about. And then for Zach King, he uh, has gotten a lot of good uh, deals out of it, so it's worked out really well for him. Um, then there's a notion of when you create content, promoting it more effectively. Uh, here's a few uh, tips for how to create better content and promote it more effectively. Uh, I'm not going to read the chart. You guys can do that. And I want to make sure we leave some more time for questions at the end here. Um, and then there's the idea, you know, it sounds unappealing, work harder, uh, yes, uh, put another 10 hours a day in. Uh, no, that's not what I mean. Um, here's a study that someone did uh, about singers with the greatest vocal range. Uh, it was done for a, a company called Concert Hotels. And they literally took all the recordings of uh, like hundreds of music artists and measured their entire vocal range found out Axl Rose, by the way, has the uh, biggest vocal range of anybody out there. Um, so that was a ton of work and a lot of manual effort that went into that. And it's like, gosh, could that possibly have been worth it? Uh, it's a fair question. I mean, they had to go deep into a lot of manual research, put a lot of hours in where others didn't. This post got 111,000 shares on Facebook. Um, and 7,100 backlinks to their site. So this is an example of really being very remarkable in what they produced. Okay, so last thing, and then we're done, um, is the notion of cultivating authority. If you followed SEO for a long time, you know that we used to have this thing called author photos that Google put in the search results. And this is kind of the way that they showed you that authorship mattered to them. Um, and they, they, they killed it. They killed that program. So the question might come up, does being an authoritative author matter? Uh, but just remember, this is what Eric Schmidt said at one point, is that information tied to verified online profiles will be ranked higher. Uh, so Google obviously saw a lot uh, of potential in, in authorship. 
but you know, frankly, I don't care that much whether Google is measuring it so much, because what I do know is that when you build your own expertise, um, that uh, it causes people to share and link to your stuff more. Uh, and that actually has a very, very important impact on your, your uh, content marketing efforts. And Matt Cutts did say this uh, in an interview I did with him four years ago. Uh, you know, doing the things that help build your own reputation. You know, you're creating the signals we want to find and value the most anyway. Uh, so I do think it's a really important thing to think about. So you want to work on building your engagement. Uh, I showed this chart a little bit before, just a reminder that uh, effective content marketing. I mean, you look at the third line here. 18,000 searches a month, three lousy links. So went from position six to position one. That was worth money, right? So, um, and then just thinking a little bit more about expertise, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a concept of achieving reputation critical mass, uh, which you'll start producing great content, you put it out there, you'll get a little bit of response, and, and then you do some more, and you get a little bit more response, and it kind of builds over time. And then you get to a point which is kind of like a tipping point where your reputation goes enough, up enough that your engagement rate starts to scale very rapidly. So that's a thing to think about getting to. So with that, I'm going to pop back here because we have just a little over 10 minutes left see what we've got for questions. And so I've been talking about content marketing the whole time, uh, but please feel free to ask questions about any topic. And uh, let's uh, see what people have. Sure. So, well, uh, good, Alex. Good. Go ahead. So um, we we had a couple questions come in, um, and, and like Jason mentioned, Eric, you know, most of the people that are watching and are on the show right now are or law firms, um, you know, somewhere from small to mid-size, some large law firms that have their own marketing departments or using an SEO and digital marketing agency to to help them um, with some of the work. So a lot of the questions we're going to get are going to be targeted towards legal. Um, this, I got to thank you, was a great presentation because it it totally shows how important links and content are going well together, and especially great content. Um, you know, it, it just proves what we've been teaching and, and doing for our clients, um, especially your case study um, with with the Fortune 500 company that that you know you did the research and found that it was one link that made the the difference and and we see that quite a bit. I know Jason, you see it a lot when you're doing your research. You know we dig in and do um, in depth digital marketing and uh, SEO strategies and and look at the reverse engineering. But the question came in, um, what is the benefit? And we talked about this, but what's your side of it on um, on GTLDs? Um, the URLs. What do you think? Is there any benefit? In that? You mean like the, the dot, dot law? Oh, a dot law. Okay. So um, I actually had a conversation, an uh, email dialogue very recently with uh, uh, someone at Google about uh, the new uh, the new GTLDs, and um, so there is no um, SEO reason to think that dot law will be better or worse uh, 
from a pure Google perspective. Uh, in other words, they're not going to rank it higher or lower just because you go dot law. Um, however, there may be some user uh, impact, right? Uh, if they see dot law, that they they might uh, react to it in a more uh, positive way potentially. Um, uh, you, you, so that's I mean that's the way I would address that. Uh, in other words, the user sees that you're at uh, uh, Shearson and uh, uh, Lawson uh, uh, Partners uh, dot law. Um, so. But they're, uh, from Google's perspective, what they've told me is that there's no ranking boost or uh, negative to it. Great. Um, Alec, any other questions so far, or can I ask one real fast? <clears throat> yeah, you can jump in. We have a couple more, but go ahead. So, so what's your thoughts on, um, let's say you have a, a a lawyer that's listening to this call right now and they started out and they had like an EMD domain name so let's just say they had a domain name that said that they did you know Joe Smith criminal attorney dot com and but let's just say it's an exact match domain name so let's just say uh, Dallas criminal defense attorney dot com okay so they have that that EMD and then they decide that maybe that they, they want to also expand their practices to include some personal injury and things like that. Um, like, what do you think your the effect would be if they um, transferred that whole site over to a new URL that wasn't an EMD? Maybe it's just, you know, joesmith.com law firm or whatever. Um, do you think that there would be a lot of uh, a lot of loss in their rankings if they if they threw and redirected the EMD over to a new URL? Um, so, you kind um, of were cut off. I don't know if you caught that, Eric. I didn't catch it on my end. The question. Uh, okay. Well, I'll I'll re. I heard all of it. Uh, okay. So we're we're going to go from Dallas uh, Criminal Defense Attorney dot com to. Uh, uh, JoeWilson.com. Uh, there you go. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and the reason we're doing that is we originally focused just on criminal defense, uh, but now we're in three cities and we cover more than just criminal. There you uh, go. Or whatever the whatever the reasons are, right? So we've broadened. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I don't ascribe much value to keywords in the URL. There, I, I won't say there's none. It's it's just not big. So I think that that should be a move that you should be able to make um, without too much cost to it, uh, especially because nowadays Google has said that they no longer uh, erode links passed through 301s, that they pass all the juice through. Mm-hmm. However, once you initially after you make the move, you should expect that for a period of something like six weeks, You'll see a temporary loss in traffic while Google figures out the move. Yes. But after that time period, I think you're fine. That's great. Yeah, because there's a lot of attorneys that start off as like a small practice and then they grow into something much bigger. Like you said, now they're focusing on three different cities and their URL that they first worked on was, you know, specifically for one of the three cities. And so, yeah, that's just a common problem that we see in the legal community. So I appreciate you uh, addressing that. 
Mm. Yep, absolutely. A couple questions are coming in. We have another. Yeah, a couple questions are coming in. Eric, what are your opinion on niche sites versus subdomains versus just case types within the site? Um, so that's question number one. So in the legal industry, there was years where people would create specific sites. If they were a PI uh, attorney, they would do one for car accidents, one for truck accidents, and they would split it all out, um, you know, for different niches that they were doing. What are your thoughts on that versus different subdomains and um, just, just case for, sites or, within or just the website? The yeah, or just keeping it on the root, too. <clears throat> yeah. In the root so, domain, yeah. Yeah, so uh, for me, um, uh, it, it used to be that that uh, uh, separate domain thing worked pretty well for uh, sites, uh, um, and uh, um, Google liked that. But given that the, there's a fairly strong relationship, and they're all legally related, and they're all, uh, um, I would be much more a fan of getting them all on the main domain because. To me, the problem of each individual site is each site represents a marketing problem. I'd rather have one marketing problem than five. Yeah. You know. I agree. I agree with that completely. Yeah. Uh, and and what about yeah. the difference between what about the difference between using subdomains versus putting it on a root? So, for example, making it personal injury lawyer dot you know xyz dot com versus criminal defense versus putting it on the root. If you were to ask a Googler that, that uh, question today, they would tell you that there is no difference. Uh, for me, I am still cognizant of the fact that it's pretty easy to have a subdomain operated by a completely different webmaster, mm -hmm. uh, and that's not true with a subfolder. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's a very small risk, but non-zero risk, but a subdomain won't be interpreted as part of the core site. So I would lean towards the folder. But if I was already on subdomains, I wouldn't bother moving it unless I thought there was, had evidence there was a problem. Great. Looks like there's another question. Okay, and uh, thank you. Yeah, so any advice on increasing local map rankings? Well, uh, I mean, the, the first thing is to get consistent listings across the, uh, the local business and yellow page sites and the business listing aggregators. Um, and, and it means really scrutinizing and making sure that your phone number is shown exactly the same way, the address is shown exactly the same way. If one address says you're at 301 Nichols Street and the other one says, you're at 301 Nichols uh, Street, Suite 201. Um, you got to clean stuff like that up. It sounds small, but if Google has any reason to believe that it can't be confident in the information it has about your site uh, and your locations, then it will be less happy about showing you high in the map pack results. And and you might say to yourself, well, my gosh, I've have you know um, validated with Google my business, and so they uh, validated my listing with them. Why don't they just use that? Well, the problem is that you might be that one person in a thousand business people 
that actually keeps your Google My Business listing up to date, but most people don't. So even though you validate is an important step and you should do that, you also have to police so you're, how your listings show up across the other sites on the web. Uh, so that's very, very important uh, uh, step to take. So that, that's the number one thing that people have to do and they don't do enough of. Now, do you think there's a difference between like um, like the way exactly you spell it out? So if it's on your website and it's on your Google Plus My Business profile as sweet, spelled out sweet, and then you have some listings out there that just use the pound sign or S-T-E, um, do you think Google is smart enough to recognize the semantics or should you go in and just kind of modify it to be exactly the way it is on your, your website as well as your uh, Google My Business profile? Um, I'm going to give you the relatively squishy answer is that they should be smart enough, but <laughs> there, who knows how many different scenarios they actually face. Right? You, you, you gave some examples, Jason, that sound simple to parse. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, number and suite and room and office number. Uh, those all sound like they equate to each other. But the reality is, in the real world, there's probably 15 other scenarios that we can't think of off the top of our head, which are just impossible to sort out. And, mm -hmm. like, uh, and so, uh, I, if you're going to go in and work on cleaning up your listings, I'd get really strict about it and take the risk off the table. I agree. Yep. That's what we practice and preach too. Same thing. I just want to know your thoughts on that. Appreciate this has been the, great. Yeah, appreciate having you. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much, Eric, again. Yep. Appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you so much. Have a happy Friday and a great weekend. Thank you, yeah, everyone, for joining us. All right, folks, thanks so much for watching another episode of SEO Happy Hour. Today we had Eric Enga. If you like the show, please leave a review. If you'd like to see other type themes and categories for SEO, content marketing, legal marketing, please shoot us an email. Let us know on our Facebook or Twitter pages. Make sure you review either on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate it. The more people we get, the more opportunities we can have to bring you more guests and more content. Thanks again for watching SEO Happy Hour. And we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks so much for listening to SEO Happy Hour with We Do Web Content. For more great content and to stay up to date, go to wedowebcontent.com. And we'll catch you next time.